Well, are you guys ready for the word? Praise God. Tell the person next to you right now, you're lucky you're sitting next to me today. And now go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read all the way uh, verse 1 through 4. As we're getting started on a new series uh, this week called The Call, okay, The Call. We have so many Christians that have to uh, need to get an understanding of what it is God has called them to do. There's nothing worse than, than wandering through life without purpose and understanding of destiny. And so I, I really believe God wants to speak to us as a house to make sure that we understand the purpose and what it means when the Bible says we have a call on our lives. Now, let's look at Ephesians chapter four, verse one through four here. It says this. It says, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. And just as you were called in one hope, here it is again, of your calling, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray. Father, we just open up our minds and our hearts this morning to your word. May your word speak to us, Lord. May your word change us. May your word uh, wash us and give us direction, Lord God. We thank you that your word is powerful. It's supernatural. And as it is spoken, it has the ability to create. That same creative power that was in your word when you said, let there be lights, let that same creative power be in the spoken word today in this room. And we ask that you would move in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. The call of God. It's, it's something that the Bible speaks quite often about. And yet in my travels uh, around the world, in my travels uh, uh, in this nation, what we find so many times is we have Christians that are living void or uh, without understanding of their calling. We have Christians that have simply made their service unto God or this Christian thing uh, kind of uh, about just going to church. And they've made this relationship about Jesus uh, uh, and, th and this thing that we call relationship with God void of any power. And we have people that live their lives forgetting that life is a gift. How many know life is a gift? It is not to be wasted upon just pleasing our flesh. It is not just to be wasted upon just having fun, although fun is important in the Christian life. Yes, I said fun is important. How many know that to be true? I think people forget about that sometimes. But fun is important. It's important to have fun in your walk with God. But fun is not the destination. If all you're doing is living life to have fun, you're going to have a pretty sucky life at the end of the day. Amen? I got half amens on that, but let me break this down to you. So we have people that have a relationship with God, have been given the gifts of God, have been given the potential of God, but yet aren't doing anything with it. And we have people many times that all they do with their lives is they pursue a career all the while ignoring a calling. 
And sometimes the calling and the career line up together, but sometimes they are two very different things. We will sacrifice the call to pursue a career because a career produces money. But when we sacrifice the call of God for a career, you also are going to sacrifice true peace and true happiness. And we all know people that have incredible careers, but they're miserable. We all know people that are making good money, but they're unhappy. We all know people that are, that are maybe are crushing it in their career, climbing that ladder of success, but they're empty inside. They're lonely. Their relationships are void of any fulfillment. Their family life is dry and dead. And let me tell you something, that is no existence that you, I want for anybody in this place. But when we understand that we've been born with a calling, as we just read there in the book of Ephesians, it, sh- it should change everything about how you view life. Now, to understand the calling, we've got to go back to the very beginning. And I want to read you here in Jeremiah chapter 1, five, uh, 4 through 5. And many of you know this scripture here. And if you don't, you should know it because it gives you a revelation that you are not an accident. You are not here based on an accident created by a human. You are not here just out of fate. But you are here created by an intelligent creator for a specific purpose. And Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 says this, Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And this word here written to Jeremiah gives us an understanding of how God has created us. And many times when you read this, you can miss it. The Bible says here, before you were formed in the womb, you were known by God. Now think about that for a moment. You were in the mind of God. You were known by God before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. Now, that's a powerful statement right there. You know what that denotes? That denotes that you've been sent to the planet with a purpose. That God, you're not an accident. You're not here simply because uh, two people got together. You were planned in the mind of God before you were conceived in your mother's womb. You see, our God is a God of purpose. And what he's saying here, and this is, this is amazing when you think about it. You and I existed on another plane before we took on these earth suits that we walk in right now. Trip out on that for a moment. I don't know how that works. I don't know how that happened here. But God knew us before we were born. Which means that we existed before we came into the earth realm. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And you want to know why? Because that's all God says about it. Now, you'll have preachers that have theories on it and all that kind of stuff. Well, this is what I think that means, and this means that. But listen, I ain't going to touch that because God doesn't go any further with it. But I'll stop where he stops in saying that before we were born, he knew us. One day when we go to heaven, we'll find out what that exactly means. 
But what it means to us today is this. If God is a God of purpose and he knew us before we were born, and the fact that we were born means this, there's a reason behind your existence. And you've got to, oh, you've got to hear my heart. You've got to hear the word today because some of you have locked in into finding your identity in what you do. And I'm just here to tell you, you're more than a mailman. You're more than a meat cutter. Come on. You're more than a business owner. You're more than a real estate agent. You're more than a mom. You're more than that. And I need to say that today because some of us have settled into this low-level identity that you are simply what you do. And you're much more than that. You're more than a college student right now. You're more than whatever it is your occupation is. And what I want God to reveal, what I'm believing he's going to reveal in these weeks is exactly what it is that God has called you as an individual to do while you're alive on this planet. Because if you don't find that call, if you don't come in contact with that call, you will settle, you will settle for a low level of life. And when you settle for a low level of life, we begin to try to find fulfillment in things that can never fulfill you. Like relationships. Well, when somebody doesn't know what they're called to do, they run to relationships because they think, well, if I can just feel loved, all this pain, all this hurt, all this loneliness will go away. Well, let me tell you something, brother. It doesn't go away. I have sat across from many couples counseling them in marriage that were lonely, that were depressed, that were feeling unloved in a marriage. So when you settle for a low level of life, you begin to seek fulfillment in things that are not called to fulfill those areas, like relationships, like sex, like partying, like medicating, like alcohol and, and smoking weed and all this kind of stuff that we settle for because there's no true fulfillment, listen to me now, outside of calling. Now, let me tell you something. There is nothing like feeling and knowing that you are doing what God has called you to do. There is no sweet sleep that is sweeter than that. There is no greater feeling. Listen, I'd rather have no, no money and be right in the will of God than to have all the money and be broken because I'm not doing what I've been called to do. And that is why I want you to zero in on what we're talking about here as we spend this time dissecting and looking at the call of God. Amen? So he says here, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, here it is, I sanctified you. That word sanctified means set you apart. He set you apart. We've all been set apart. What is, why do you set things apart? We set things apart for a purpose. Setting apart denounces, it, it, what it, what it basically means is that there's a reason why you've been pulled out of something. It's like if you have a toolbox and you need a specific tool, what do you do when you reach into that toolbox and you find what you need? You take it out and you set it apart. We have been chosen 
and set apart. You know what that means? There's a purpose for your existence. There's a calling that is on your life. And if you find it, if you allow the Lord to reveal it to you and you walk in it and pursue it, that is when life gets sweet. Can I get an amen on that? So let's look at now. Uh, uh, let me take you now to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 11. Okay, because this topic here is very vast and we're going to get into these things. That's why I'm not going to try to do it all for you on one Sunday, but I think I got your attention. Uh, but, but let's look at what it says in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. He says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For in these things are yours, and if these things are yours and they abound, listen to this, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. They're even blind. And have forgotten that he was cleansed from their old sins. Now listen to this. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Wow. You will never stumble. If you are diligent to make your call and your election Sure, you will never, if you do these things, you will never stumble. Here it is. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So now Peter is writing to us about the call. And he's telling us this. Be diligent. That means when it comes to your calling, you can't be casual. You can't be lazy. You can't sit around and hope that it shows up. What Peter says here is be diligent towards it. Work towards it. Find it. Pursue it. Go after it like many of us go after things that we want. And he says, if you do that, you will never stumble. That's a promise right there. We'll never be those, we'll never be lined with those that fall by the wayside and stop serving the Lord Jesus Christ. We will always be in pursuit of that calling. But what I love about this scripture here is it's kind of a roadmap of what it takes to walk and find your calling. And he starts there in verse one as he begins to line up these things that are needed to fulfill and walk and pursue your calling. And I want to point these out to you today as he says there in verse one, but also for this very reason, give all diligence. Everybody say diligence. That word diligence means not to be lazy, to pursue it, to, to, to go after it like it's important. Be diligent with this thing. And there are so many Christians out there, they're diligent about everything else but church. They're diligent about everything else except their relationship with Christ and fulfilling their mandate. And this morning, you've got to do a heart check. Am I diligent to pursue that which God has called me to do? 
Because we're diligent about pursuing so many other things. We're diligent about pursuing success. We're diligent about pursuing money. We're diligent about pursuing entertainment. But we've got to be diligent about pursuing the call. But then he says to this, add to your faith, your faith in Jesus Christ, he means, virtue. Virtue. Now, what does that, vert, that word virtue mean there? It basically, according to, the, uh, according to the dictionary, means this. It means behavior showing high moral standards. Now, why is this so important? Let me tell you why this is so important right now. Because we are living in a day and age where people are misappropriating the understanding that God's love for you is, is uh, it's, it's unconditional. In other words, this, no matter what you do, God's going to love you. But as Romans chapter 6 says, does that mean that we just get to live any old way? Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 6 says this, absolutely not. One translation says, certainly not, which means, hello, don't you know this? That just because you have the acceptance of God doesn't mean you can reside to living any old kind of way. Because in the call, Peter tells us here, give diligence and add to your faith virtue, which means right moral behavior. What that means is this, people. You got to have some morals in your life. You don't just get to live any old kind of way. You say, oh, man, that doesn't sound like fun. No, it's great. It's awesome because morals protect us from destruction. And there are people out there that just because they have the acceptance of God through the grace of Jesus Christ want to live any old kind of way. And let me tell you something. You're setting yourself up for destruction. Because you cannot, hear me now, you cannot fulfill the call of God your way. It ain't going to happen. The only way to fulfill the call of God is his way. Because he has a plan. If he sent you here for a reason, you need to understand this. You can't fulfill his plan your way. Your plan, his plan can only be fulfilled his way. And that is why he gives us the scriptures. That is why you come to a church where we teach you the Bible so you can learn his ways. But then when you hear his ways, you have a decision to make. Are you going to choose his way above your way? And this is where we lose folks. Because here is where the rubber meets the road. Is Jesus Lord of your life? And if he's Lord of your life, then his ways trump our ways. But if he is not, and if you are just playing the church game, and if you are just trying to get some fire insurance so you don't burn in hell one day, this is where we lose you. Because somehow, some way, we begin to think our plan is good, and because God loves us, we can do whatever we want. And what we learn right here in 1 Peter is if you're going to walk in the call of God and never stumble, that you've got to change some things. You have got to add to your faith virtue. And again, the dictionary definition of virtue there is you have got to add to your faith behavior showing high moral standards. Can I get a good strong amen on that? 
Now, I had a, a, a friend, well, I had somebody in our church back in Florida, and uh, this gentleman came and asked for an appointment with me, and he had been in our church for about, I don't know, a little couple, maybe a year or so. And he wanted to meet with me, and I said, what's the deal? And he said, well, I'm just, this Christian thing's not working for me. You know, I'm not experiencing Christ like you preach about. And I said, okay, well, let's look at some things. Uh, you know, what, is, what do you feel like God's called you to do? And he had this thing, well, I, got, I feel like God's called me to, uh, to own a business and do these things. But, you know, I don't see anything happening, and I'm not getting nothing into my devotionals and things. And so, okay, uh, let, let's look at some other things closer. And uh, I said, so how's things going with you and your girlfriend? And he got real defensive right away. He said, oh, things are good. Why? Why do you ask? I said, are you sleeping with her? Somebody say, ooh, pastor's going there. Because remember, your pastor carries a knife, right? Amen. We got to be the kind of leader that can, sometimes you got to, I got to hurt you to help you. Come on. Amen. You should all want leaders like that, that are not afraid to help you get to your promised land. We don't want to be Moses type of leaders that are afraid to help people get in destiny. But to sometimes help people cross over, you got to ask the hard questions. And he looked at me and he, and, and, and he put his head down and he said, yeah. I said, well, there's the problem. You say you want Christ. You say you want the call, but yet you are unwilling to add to your faith virtue, which is behavior showing high moral standards. And the Bible is very clear that sexual activity is for marriage. Yet you come to church and say you want more of God, but you have not yet adapted the Lord's moral standard for living. And he looked at me there and he just began to cry. And we prayed together and we said, we've got to do something about this. And I was so grateful that his heart was open to that. And I ask you here today, maybe you need to make some adjustments because you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself if you really want to obey the call of God on your life, yet you fail to make the adjustment of adding to your faith virtue, which is a high behavior with a high moral standard. And this is better preaching than you are leading on this morning. Can you smile at me today? Because I ain't mad at nobody. I'm just trying to help somebody see. Because there are people that have left God thinking it's not working for me when they have simply not been able or they have simply not been willing to make the adjustments that the scripture tells us. And listen, we all got to do it. We all got to do. I'll never forget the day that I was pursuing God early in my walk with God. And I began to see that there were things in my life. If I'm really going to go after God, I had to make some changes. And one of the changes I had to make was the relationships that I was in. And, and, and I thank God that when I when I was faced with the scriptures, I chose to obey his plan so that I can fulfill the call of God. And that's where all of us are ha have to come to a place. And that is why Jesus, many times, he had big crowds when he was handing out fish dinners. Come on. He, they, when they found out he was giving out long johns, they were all coming out to get their two-piece fish dinner, and everybody was there. But the moment he says, okay, now you got to do things my way, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, the Bible says the crowd left him because they didn't get it. But the 12 stayed. They stayed and they made a choice because they recognized the only way they could fulfill their call was by following the word 
and the plan of Jesus. And that is where we are all at in this room today. This is why I love this this part of scripture. So let's keep going. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue or behavior that denotes a high moral standard. Okay, now let's keep going to your high moral standard. Add knowledge. Okay, so if you're going to walk in the in the plan and the call of God, you got to get some knowledge. But here's the thing about acquiring knowledge. It is nobody else's responsibility but yours. Can I get an amen on that? You have to pursue knowledge. And as the old uh, prophet of the night of the 20th century used to say by the name of Kumo D. (laughs) Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. You can Google that when you get home, youngsters. But you got to pursue it. You got to be diligent to add to your high moral standard knowledge, which means this you got to go after it. You got to pay attention in church. You got to take some notes. That's why it's always crazy. You know, the last thing, I say this all the time the last thing you should ever come out of your mouth about church is I'm not getting fed. Because all that means is you're not too bright. That's what that means. And I hear people complain about churches they go to and they say, yeah, I was going to that church, but I stopped going because I wasn't getting fed. That's a dumb statement right there, because it is not your pastor's uh, responsibility for you getting knowledge. That's your responsibility. And if you come here, listen, we're serving it up every Sunday. I give time, I give energy, I give, uh, get on my knees and ask the Lord to give me things so that we can learn as a church and as a group so that we can add knowledge to our high moral behavior and our faith. But you got to pursue it. Because there's some of us been coming to this church a long time and you ain't learning nothing. Smile at me, pastor loves you. Because, you, you know, it's not enough to just be around it. You got to pursue it. I could be throwing out chunks of meat all day, but guess what has to happen? You got to grab it. You got to stick that in your mouth. You got to eat it. And most of the problem we have with people is we don't know how to receive knowledge. It's not enough to hear knowledge. Knowledge does not get applied to your life until you do what you heard. Are you tracking with me today? Because I want to help us from being ignorant Christians because there's too many of them out there. There's too many people that go to church every Sunday and don't learn nothing. They're just as dumb as when they came to the altar and got saved. Smile at me now. It shouldn't be that way. We should be getting smarter and learning and adding to our faith and adding to our high moral behavior knowledge. But how do we do that? It's not enough to hear it. Think about your school days. What do they do? They teach you all week. And then Friday, they give you a test. And what is on the test? Everything they taught you the last four days. And what are you supposed to do? Use what you were taught on the test because that helps you hold on to what you learned. Can I get an amen on that? And all the college graduates said, because that's how you graduated. And all the college dropouts, no, 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 no. Smile at me now. Smile at me. But, but this, is how, this is how knowledge is, is acquired. 
So when you leave church, you're only halfway there. Come on, Bon Jovi. We're halfway there. Living on a... Oh, no, no, no. So, so what happens? You get some knowledge and they're halfway there. Now the test becomes you going out and doing what you learned on purpose. On purpose. So your work week, you should have somewhere in there where you leave church learning something and somewhere out there this week on purpose, you're going to do what you learned. Guess what that means? That is when you're going to add knowledge to your life because the knowledge that you have is only added to you if you're using it. Because what, where does knowledge have to get? This is what makes it different than college. Knowledge is not just supposed to get in your head. It's supposed to get in your heart. And the only way it gets in your heart is when you do it. It's when you use it. So if we're teaching on healing, it's good. Amen. Yes, God can heal. Now go out there. You walk out of here and somebody at your, your work is coughing. And, and instead of getting mad at them and saying, nasty person, cover your mouth. You remember that you learned about healing and you go over on purpose and you say, hey, can I pray for you real quick? And they might look at you crazy, but that's OK. You're acquiring knowledge. Are you tracking with me today? So that is how we acquire knowledge. Are you still with me? So add to your faith and your high moral behavior, knowledge and to your knowledge, self-control, self-control. Somebody said, ooh, I heard you. Ooh, ah, pastor. Yeah, but, that, but this, is, this is how we are going to get to the call of God with things. We've got to learn how to control our appetites. We've got to learn how to control our desires. We've got to learn how to control our mouth. Hello. We've got to learn that we can't say whatever we want to say. Come on, somebody. In the name of keeping it 100. We've got to learn self-control. Just because you're mad at your boss, don't give you the right to tell them whatever you want. Because that's a good way to get fired. Just because you have some opinions, don't mean you air them and share them. Because we're also called later on to keep the unity of the faith. And what's going to take to keep unity? Self-control. Because you may not like some things in your family. I don't mean you're supposed to share that opinion. You may not like some things on your job. That doesn't mean you're supposed to tell people. You may not like some things in church. That doesn't mean you go around whispering and telling folks. You know what it means? It's a great opportunity for you to learn some self-control. Smile at me today. Come on. Because we're going somewhere with this, okay? Because it does no good to find out your calling Yet you don't have these things. And this is where so many Christians are. We just want to know, God, what is it I'm called to do? God, I want to know my call. Reveal my call. Reveal my call. Well, slow your roll. Let's go back. Are you giving diligence to your faith, your high moral standard of behavior, your knowledge, your self-control? And he keeps going. And now perseverance, which means this. You don't give up, cave in, and quit. When it gets hard, you stay with it. Because you know why he tells us to have perseverance? Because anything worth having is going to get hard. 
How many know marriage gets really hard? Don't amen too strong. Calm down, some of y'all. Get yourself in trouble in here. How many know having children is very difficult at times? But you got to persevere. How many know having money is very difficult? Some people don't know that, I guess. I didn't get no amens on that one. Okay, I got a few amens, but listen, more money, more problems. Another 20th century poet said that. Hello, Biggie Smalls. But it's true. Having wealth has problems. You got to persevere. Anything you want is tough. And you can't be one of these people that gives up on your marriage, gives up on being a father or a mother, gives up on your career, gives up on school, gives up on God, gives up on church, gives up on serving, because when you signed up, you didn't know it was going to be this hard. Persevere. Work it out. Get tough. Amen? Because that's what it takes to pursue the call of God. And then he says perseverance. Then he says godliness. Okay? Which is, which we're, you know, we're supposed to be representing the king of kings. Godliness denotes that we do things like God, which is the kingdom of God. We have relationships that are godly. We're godly in relationships. You should be godly on your job. Come on. Amen. Not just godly at church. You don't need to be godly here. Amen. There's nothing to be not godly against. You know where you need to be godly? At all those crazy people at your job. Those crazy people you live around in that apartment complex, in that neighborhood. That's when godliness needs to come out. And so he keeps going to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. So we see all these things. Listen, this is what you need. To fulfill the call of God, you got to get these things in you. You got to start being kind to folks. You got to get rid of this thing and quit saying it, please. I can't stand people. I can't stand people. Or you say things like this. Or here's another one. I can't stand church people. I can't stand Christians. I can't stand this. No, no, you're missing it. You're called to brotherly love. Which means if that's how you feel, you need to get rid of that devil that is lying to you and got you hating people. Because how could you hate people when you are one? I hate people. You hate yourself. And now we're all paying for the price because you hate yourself. But what we've all been called to is brotherly kindness. That means let's be kind to one another. Isn't that a good thing to get behind today? It would be a different world if we could just get behind some brotherly kindness and add to your brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. Now let's stop right there. Because our vision and the reason we are here is to produce disciples that will go forth and bear fruit. Because the world has enough Christians that have no fruit. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, it should be affecting folks. You should be making life better wherever you're at. You want a better life? Get around a disciple. And that is why we started today saying, tell your neighbor they are lucky to be sitting next to you. Because if you're a disciple, you're going to make their Sunday better. Come on. 
Just being around you, if you're a true disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to make life better. But you know what? If you don't have these things, if you don't get these things, you just become a believer that is unfruitful. This is why I come to you guys. I say, man, you got to quit complaining about stuff. Quit complaining on your job about how tired you are. Listen, everybody's tired. Tell your neighbor with some attitude. Everybody's tired, man. Everybody's tired. Get over it. Suck it up, buttercup. Come on. We got, we've got to quit complaining and quit griping about stuff and start being fruitful. But see, here's what we want. We want fruit without the process of these things. We want things to change without us first changing. And we say this all the time, and it's one of our core beliefs and core values as a church, that when you change, everything will change. So when you want something to change, stop looking for other things to change. What first must happen is you got to change. So if you want your marriage to get better, quit looking at your partner and look in the mirror. Because if you change, everything will change. Oh, I want my family to change. If you want your family to change, you got to first change. Well, my job, we need change on our job. Wherever you're at, you get the picture. When you change, everything else changes. So what we first got to understand and go after here is changing ourselves for the purpose of being neither barren nor unfruitful. What do all those things that we just went through have to do with? Do you realize all those things have to do with you changing? You got to get faith. You got to get knowledge. You got to have a high moral standard of behavior. You got to be godly. You got to do those things. And if you do these things, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, he makes all that he says, all that to get to the point here of where he begins to talk about the calling. And he says, for he who lacks these things is short sighted, even blind. Now, let's stop right there for a moment. He says, you got to hit those first things first, because if you don't have them, you're blind. You're short sighted. You can't see and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. So first thing we got to do before we pursue and understand the call is we've got to change in our lives. We've got to allow the word to change us, adding to our faith a high moral standard, adding to our high moral standard knowledge. And you got to add to that brotherly love. And the list goes on and on and on. But you got to get that right before you start announcing what it is you're called to do. Because there's nothing sadder than somebody saying, I'm called to own a business, but you ain't doing these first things. I'm called into the ministry, but you ain't working on those first things there. 
We love to find out what it is we're called to. We're called to this. I'm called to do that. I'm called to this. Because you know what? Many times the underlying thing when it comes to understanding a calling without these things is self. You ever notice how everybody's called to something great? We like that because it denotes a little bit of selfishness in us. But when you get that first list in there, you know what then the call begins to be about? Pleasing God, doing what God's called me to do, building his kingdom, lifting others. And when we get our focus on that aspect of the call, we have something in our life that is called a pure motive. Without it, our motives become selfish. And we say things like, well, I'm called to, to, to run a business. And that might be true. But you know what? A bad motive and a calling could jack it all up. And there are many people out there walking in their callings with bad motives, planning churches because they want to be known and they want to be great, being in the ministry because they want to stand up in front of people and be seen with great revelation, see it all the time, because they never take the time to pursue inward change, as 2 Peter tells us. And he says, you need to get that stuff right. And if you get that stuff right, diligently pursue your calling. And then he says this, you'll never stumble. You'll never fall. Are you tracking with this today? So as we're talking about the calling, let's put things in the proper perspective. All those things I talked to you about, all those things we mentioned, all that list there in 2 Peter comes down to the first aspect of what it is you're called to do. And that is found in Mark chapter 3, 14 through 15. It's Jesus, and he gives us a little insight about calling his disciples. And he says a profound thing here that I want you to catch. Mark 3, 14 through 15, it says this, and then he, meaning Jesus, appointed 12. And here it is, that they might be with him. The first aspect of your calling in life, you need to understand what you're called to do. And the first thing that you're called to do is be with him. It's so simple, we miss it. Because we want the calling to be about us and what it's going to do for me. But you can't get to that level until you first understand the first thing that you're called to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. And that is the greatest calling of all. When you find this and you pursue this with all your heart and all your diligence, you will begin to change. And everything we went over on that list there, Second Peter talks about, it's not really just a list. These are attributes that will begin to grow inside of you when you first understand that you're called to be with Jesus. See, it's so important that I point this out to you as we're talking about the call because many of us are more interested in the do than the be. What am I called to do? No, no, no. Let's back this up. It's not about what you're called to do. It's first about what you're called to be because we got to change what you are before you can do what God's calling you to do. Because you can't do 
what God's calling you to do without being with him. And this is the disconnect we have with folks. Because we forsake what Revelations calls is our first love. Which our first love and our first pursuit should be being with Jesus. Are you tracking with me today? So he appoints the 12, the disciples, that they might be with him. And then it goes on and says, and that he might send them out to preach. See, first he focuses on the be before the do. And we've got some of us in this room, you're so focused on the do, not the mountain do, <laughs> but the do. Not the do do. No, no, no. I'm just stop right there. But we, we're like that. We're like that. So we find out what it got, God calls us to do, and right away we run to doing it. Oh, I'm called to preach. Boom, we want to run out and go do it. Oh, I'm called to own a business. Boom, we want to run out and go and do it. Hold up. Wait a minute. You need to put some Jesus in it. Right? 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 Because he appoints the 12 that they might be with him that they might do. Are you getting this today? You got to grasp this today. Help me on the keys, Eddie. You got to grasp this before we go any further in the call. Because if you don't grasp this, what good is it learning about a call that you can't do on your own? And we've got so many Christians. That's why the Bible says, Jesus made this statement later on in the scriptures. And I think the guys have it. Matthew 22, verse 14. It says this, many are called, but few are chosen. That's a profound statement. Many are called, but few are chosen. I meet called people all the time. But what's the difference? What, is, what does that mean? It basically, when you break it down in the Greek, it, it means a little something without giving you all the Greek words and whatnot. It basically means something like this. For many are called, but few choose the call. And I've just described some of you in this room. There's a call on your life, but you haven't yet chosen it. And then there's others we choose the call, but we want to pursue the call instead of pursuing him. you got to know this. The first thing you're called to do as a believer of Jesus Christ is be with him. Be with him. If you've gone to church here any length of time, you know we talk about spending time with God. A disciple spends time with God. A disciple does devotionals. Disciple spends time with the Lord because that is the highest calling that I might be with him. And we've got so many Christians around the planet, they don't pray. They don't spend time with God. They're diligent about work. They're diligent about relationships. They're diligent about money, but they're not diligent about the call, which is to spend time with him. You can't fulfill the call a separate from him. And it is, it's a calling. It's something that we're called to do. Let me read you this in 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 19. It says, therefore, from now on, we regard to one according to the flesh. We, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. 
Old things pass away. All things have become new. Now, all things are of God. And here it is. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that word reconciliation mean? The dictionary says it like this. Reconciliation means the restoration of friendly or close relationships. Now remember, before you were formed in the womb, God knew you. Then we get born. We separate from God. Then we receive the revelation of Jesus Christ. He reconciles us back in a friendly manner to that relationship. It's a beautiful thing. It's what the gospel is about. It's about a dad, a father who lost his children. And one day his children comes back. What do his children come back to? Not just the house, the blessings. They come back to him. And there's so many of us in here, you go to church, you serve God, you help in ministry, but I want to challenge you. Are you fulfilling the greatest call on your life, which is to be reconciled to God, your father, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Have you yet learned how to be with Jesus? We're going to get to the do, but first I got to bring you to the cross. And some of you, I got to bring you back because you're so focused on what you're doing and serving and all these other things that you've moved away from your devotional life. You've moved away from the foundations of discipleship, which is learning how to spend time with the Lord and fulfill the greatest call on your life is to be with him. Be diligent to fulfill that call. That's what first and second Peter's talking about. Be diligent. When you're diligent, you get rid of the excuses. Oh, I'm just too busy, too tired, work, the kids. No, be diligent. That means if I got to wake up 30 minutes earlier, I wake up 30 minutes earlier. That means if I got to put my phone down and get off of Facebook and get off of Instagram, then I'll do those things so that I can fulfill the greatest call of my life, which is to be with him. I want everybody to just bow your heads for a moment because I feel it in the room. And, and I don't want you to miss what you're feeling right now. God is not saying this to condemn you. But what he's doing right now this, by the spirit is he's drawing some of you back. He's drawing some of you to the understanding that all he wants is a relationship with you. All he wants is you in his presence. Because when I'm in his presence, I change. When I'm in his presence, my problems shrink. When I'm in his presence, sin begins less enticing. When I'm in his presence, temptations of the world, they shrink and they fall down. We need his presence. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, I pray that you, I, I feel it in the room. I feel the father just wooing you back. He's not mad. He's not angry. 
He's not there saying, son, daughter, you've been blowing it. No, he's not saying any of that. He's revealing to you right now the foundation and the greatest call in the universe to be with him, to be with him. The Holy Spirit, I just pray you move in this place right now because it's not about how long you've been saved. You could be in church 20 years and you've gotten away from this call to be with him. It's not about what you know. It's not about what you're doing. It's about being obedient to that call. Now, if you're here today, maybe some of you, you've been far away from it. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never made him the center of your life, the, the Lord of your life. You've never given him the opportunity to forgive you of all your sins and to become a part of the family of God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus will come into your life, cleanse you of all your mistakes, all your sins, all your shortcomings, and adopt you back into the family of God. But the first thing you got to do, you got to repent, which means turn away from the way you've been going and come in to the kingdom. And it starts with a decision. And with every head bowed and as I, every eye closed, please, just for a moment longer, I got to ask today before we leave. Maybe you're here and you've never given your life to the Lord. Or maybe you have, but you know you've gotten away. You're not living that life of high moral standards. You're not pursuing the Lord. You're not pursuing knowledge, faith, any of that. But you want to give your life to Jesus or you want to come back to Jesus. If that's you, I want you to just slip up a hand right now. I want to pray with you. If there's anybody here like that, yeah, I see that hand back there. I see that over here. I see those hands. Hands are going up all over this place. Now I want everybody to just stand on your feet for a moment. Come on, let's stand before I let you go. And if you raise your hand, I want you to do one more bold thing. I want you to just come to the front so that we can pray with you and we can receive you into the house of God, into the family of God. Come on, just give them a good hand clap as they come. Just begin to come. Come on, come on, come on, my man, Kate, keep coming, keep coming, there's a few other hands, don't be shy, come on, give them up, don't be careful, we'll wait for you, we'll wait for you, wait for you, we'll get, get some of our A-team behind over here, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, man, God bless you, praise God, listen, we're going to pray a prayer right now, and we're just going to ask the Lord, to forgive us, to come back in our life and to restore that relationship in our lives. And church, let's all pray this together with them as we pray right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I come before you this Sunday morning in the presence of all these people. And I ask you to forgive me. I receive the call today to be with you, to pursue you, with all diligence. Forgive me for making life about other things when it needs to be about pursuing the call of knowing you. And I can't do it on my own. I need you. Come into my life in Jesus' name. Come on, let's give God a good praise clap today. Amen.
Now listen, we have some prayer partners that are here that are just going to take you for a few moments right out this door right here and just going to talk to you and pray with you and just see if there's anything we can help you guys with. It's not going to take long at all. Nobody's going to leave you here. We're going to close out and wait for you guys. Amen. So just follow Pastor Norma right here. Give her, come on, just give them a good hand as they go right now. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Now, the rest of us, as we leave today, let's make it a point that this week we're going to pursue the call of being with him. Amen. Get out there and spend that time with the Lord and allow him to change you so that everything else can change. Amen. Father, we just pray over every person right now that as we go today, Lord God, we would walk out of here understanding that the greatest call on our life is that we be with you. Help us to be before we do. We want to be those that have been spending time in your presence. We want to be those that are of a high moral character, Lord God. Help us to make those tough decisions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Pursue the call of God. Amen.